Hello, everyone. We've got a very special guest with us tonight. We're interviewing Rachel Adams. She is an IICRC instructor. She teaches several different courses, mostly on the water damage restoration type of side. But Rachel, welcome. I'm so glad that you were willing to take a little bit of your busy schedule, your busy week out to answer some questions for us. Well, we talked about this just a second ago, but which courses again do you teach with the IICRC? Uh, hey, hi, John. Thanks for having me. Um, so for IICRC courses that are specific for certification, I teach AMRT, WRT, ASD, uh, health and safety, as well as the 10 and 30 hour general industry OSHA courses. Perfect. Perfect. So, hey, Sean, Sean Bissown is on here. So can you guys do a little bit, let's do a little bit of a sound check. Sean can hear us. Who else can hear us? That way we know that we're being heard loud and clear. You guys can put some questions into the Demio chat area. If you could, Gary, thank you. Who else is out there? If you guys could just give us some feedback. Thank you, Barry. Who else is out there? Can you guys hear us? Jared, thank you. Let's get a few more of you just to make sure that we're being heard. Thank you. Good, good. Hey, okay. So, so you're 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 in tune like we were just talking just a little bit ago this is an emerging problem right so not a whole lot in our industry has been taught specifically about viruses you know not a whole lot i mean that's almost usually this is almost really a medical thing and so this is you've told me that you're getting people calling you and asking you questions about this and it's sort of a we're almost like fumbling around going well what do we do what kind of what kind of stuff is going on but i'd like to just get whatever insight that you can give us just about like you know the first question that i've really got is as cleaners what can we do that's going to be appropriate to help people uh lessen the exposure to this thing you know, this is an unprecedented um, crisis that we've never faced before, uh, at least not in my not in my generation. So, as far as cleaning, you know, that's that serves a very important role in this entire uh, this entire pandemic, and we serve a very important role in the services that we can provide. That you know, I will caution, and this is going to be designed for individuals that have the right training and the right equipment to be able to go in to provide those services. Right. You know, the, the 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 guys or the gals that are calling me saying. Well, how do I do this? I got a call from a customer that wants me to come in and, and decontaminate a building. They're probably not the right people to be doing that work. So it does require some, I think, very specific training and detailed cleaning procedures and processes. Uh, we've got a lot of good websites that are available and resources that are giving a lot of great <clears throat> information to our industry. Um, IICRC and RIA, in conjunction with one another, have put out some really good guidance documents. One was specific to, uh, to ISSA. Good. And we've got some links that we're going to be putting up and giving everybody here in just a little bit. Um, so the, the question that I've got and that I keep getting, you know, is, you know, about first and foremost, like which chemicals should you use? And even, you know, should you use a sanitizer on carpet and upholstery, like after you clean to try to combat this thing? Well, as far as the chemical list goes, you know, none of the chemicals that we have available have been tested specifically against this particular virus. Right. So what EPA has come up with is which is called their emerging pathogens list. And so these are chemicals that meet the criteria um, to be effective. But again, nothing has been specifically tested because this is brand new. Right. Um, and so they've given a complete list. And a lot of times when I look at chemical products, I'm looking at their, um, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of, 
uh, active ingredients that are in there because if you start looking at the class of chemicals and you've got it pulled up right there, it's great. <clears throat> Under the active ingredients, you see everything from hydrogen peroxide-based products to quaternary ammonium-based products, bleach or sodium, sodium hypochlorite. So once you start looking at the active ingredients, you know every class of chemicals has a an advantage and a disadvantage to them, or limitations, I should say. So, right. But all of these products that are used as disinfectants, we all need to remember that these are designed and intended to be used, and this is by EPA definition, on pre-cleaned non-porous surfaces. So in other words, we cannot claim that we are disinfecting carpeting or textiles or clothing. The best we can say is that we are applying a sanitizing agent to those surfaces, and that's only if the label on the bottle states that we can use it for that application. Exactly. Exactly. So again, just to just to stress, because I had somebody talking to me about this today, it was a, a fogging type of a, I can't remember, but one of the one of the fogging agents that you would fog, and he didn't know whether or not he should clean the carpet or the upholstery or whatever before he put it on. And I told him I was pretty sure you should, but I, I guess the answer to that would be for sure, yes, he should clean it before he actually applies it. Well, the thing is, we certainly went back to fogging. So the biggest limitations when you're fogging products as disinfecting products is number one, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to make sure you're making full contact with every single surface. It's also difficult to maintain the appropriate concentration and dwell time to make those products effective as a disinfectant. Now, a lot of companies that are doing fogging are using it as what they call a, a, a knockdown technique, <clears throat> meaning that the, the droplets that they're creating will allow the, the viruses and other particles in the air to basically attract to that, and then it falls out of the surfaces, and then you come through and you clean the surfaces after the fact. Right. That's one application of using fogging, but we should not be fogging buildings with the intention that we're disinfecting all these surfaces. Right, and especially not to where it, where we give them the impression that we're disinfecting the air or, right. or anything exactly. in the air, for sure. Right, exactly. Exactly, and I'm also cautioning people as far as the language that they're using. The language is important. Right. I would never go into a building and tell them that I can come in and I can clean and disinfect your building. Really, right. the best thing that we can say is, you know, we are going to clean and provide a cleaning service and apply a disinfectant product or a sanitizing product. Because we don't really know for how, you know, what level of, of disinfection we're achieving because we're not doing any sampling at the end. Right. Right. And, and is there even a sampling that you can do for this anyway or no? No, there's not a not a field, not a real time sampling method to test for viruses. You know what a lot of people are looking at is testing for <clears throat> the type of debris that may be left on surfaces because again, viruses are very small. They typically have to attach themselves to a larger particulate. We call those vectors. And so once they attach to those larger particulate, um, and they land on surfaces, some companies are using ATP as a way to test for the just the, the the load that's left behind on surfaces. And again, they're looking for a delta change, meaning if they if they sample or they swab that surface before they clean it, they do their, their cleaning and disinfection process and then they swab after the fact, they're looking for a significant reduction or change. That's what I mean by the delta. Right. Uh, we've got somebody asking, are you are we talking about applying a sanitizing deodorizer? Well, if you're applying it, I mean, if that's a specific product that you're using for carpeting and, and textiles, now that that would qualify for that. Right, right. And again, making sure that it's on this list. That, right. that that's the biggest thing. This is the emerging pathogens list. This is something that is there are they still even adding stuff to this list every few they days are. or something? Yeah. They are. They're, they're adding constantly. Yeah, very fluid, constantly changing. 
So you can look look up the by product name, or you can look up by the active ingredients to find a product that would be appropriate to use. Right. Even and keep in mind, even on textiles, because this came up the other day when someone had asked me about clothing and that type of thing. And this virus has been known and been shown to stay viable um, even on soft goods. So laundering, clothing, um, you know, carpet cleaning, upholstery cleaning, those things are very important. Mm-hmm. So do you know how long it stays viable on soft goods? Do you have any length of time? Uh, well, what the, what the Centers for Disease Control has stated is it can remain viable up to nine days. Up to five. And the surfaces, yeah, and the surfaces that they've really identified having the longer uh, viability on are going to be things like steel um, and some plastics. Right. I don't know if they've actually established a length of time for soft goods. Right. Right. Okay, great. And then as far as I'm going to put some of these links up here and post these so you guys can get them. Uh, Rachel, also, I was looking for this PDF before somebody showed it on Facebook and I couldn't find it again. So we've got this link. Rachel showed me where this was at. And I'm going to post this for you. This is another really good resource from the IICRC and RIA just about things that I, I guess this is more to cleaners, right? That we need to know about or right. This is more to cleaners about what we should be looking for, what we should know about. And, um, you know, is there anything you want to add about what's really included in this document? Well, it goes through, it discusses, excuse me, it discusses a lot of the cleaning protocols. That's what everybody wants to know. Everybody wants, wants a protocol provided that they can implement on their jobs. This really gives a great overview, and a lot of the information that's incorporated into this document uh, came out of uh, what the Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization put together. Uh, so they've recited a lot of that information, especially on the cleaning side. Right. Good. Uh, what do and like somebody's mentioning too in the in the chat area? Seventeen days later, supposedly what happened on the cruise ship? We don't know. Uh, you know, and it, that could have been on carpet. Who knows? I don't think from what I read, I never heard what that was actually staying on for 17 days, but I guess it can survive up to 17 days, right? Well, when you think about it, I mean, the initial lifespan is what they said is up to nine days. Um, but when you've got a group of people, especially in quarantined quarters or closed quarters like that, you know, people can continually, as it's a 14-day incubation period. Right. And so as someone, as people get reinfected or get infected at different time spans or different times, you know, that's going to continue to linger on. So I don't know that that's, that's not actually a, a time frame for viability. I think that had a lot to do with just you know, the large group of people that were continually uh, shedding the virus and they were able to detect it, pick it up. Right, right. So, so exactly, good. Um, and then as far as, um, somebody's asking about the Clorox Total 360 system. Do you have any idea what that may be? They're asking if that's a viable method, but I wouldn't know. Uh, the Clorox actually has several of those of their products that are actually listed in that, uh, that EPA um, emerging pathogens list in. Uh, so they have a lot of their products. Um, if you look that up, I'm assuming it's probably a hypochlorite-based product, but you, you can look it up by the uh, actual trade name. Right. Look it up by the trade name or even by what's inside of it might be a good idea if you're wondering about specific. Yeah. And again, all of yeah, these things need to be... All of these things need to be done after the cleaning actually takes place. I always keep that in mind with all of that. So as far as, uh, let's see, can you, I mean, talking about wipe down cleaning, because that's sort of what I've been getting asked about here and there. Can you give us just any kind of a, just a quick procedure about how that would work? When a 
by like, you know, doing counters and doorknobs and things like that, what's a good procedure for that? Yeah, and the surfaces that we want to ensure that we hit often, and, and again, this is not a one-time cleaning process. Right. This is going to be an ongoing right. thing, right? So as soon as you when you clean and apply disinfectant in a building, <clears throat> and you leave, someone else could you know, walk right back into that space and the cough or sneeze and re-impact that area again. So this is going to be an ongoing process, right? Right. And uh, I look at it similar to how we we assess and we clean for fire damage. And you've got your, your container, your bucket of, of cleaning solution. Some people would use like a heavy course, like a trigger sprayer and apply it to high touch surfaces. And that's going to be things like doorknobs and switch plates, you know, railings, handrails, things that are commonly and often touched, you know, on a regular basis by people. Um, and so those high touch areas are going to be critical to ensure that we constantly are hitting those first. And so you take your rags and you put them into your, your container for your wipe down. Um, and again, the type of rag that you're using, some people have looked to using microfiber. Um, we would rec I would recommend that whatever you're using to make sure it's a disposable rag. There's no reason to try to reuse these. Right. Um, so use something that's going to be able to be disposed of, that's going to be cost effective to do that. But when you bring the rag out and you're going to wring it out as best as you can, you're going to fold it up into quadrants, just like you would for a typical fire loss. And you're going to wipe that surface with that side of the cloth. You're going to pick the cloth up, unfold it, refold it to expose a clean surface. And you'll continue to do that till you use the entire rag, and then the rag goes over into uh, the disposal area, or into your bag, your trash bags. So that's a typical cleaning process. And again, the cleaning products that you can use, um, again, for a product to be a cleaner, it needs to have a surfactant or detergent in it. Right. And so a lot of the, the products that we're looking at on that list, you know, they don't have any cleaning abilities because they don't have a deter detergent or surfactant in it. They're specifically designed for a kill claim. So whatever you're using on the cleaning side, just make sure it has the ability to truly, you know, remove soil and particulate off of the surface. Right, right. So you would do the cleaning process like you just mentioned, and then after that, you would take and apply one of these disinfectants on the area that you cleaned and allow it to dwell for the appropriate dwell time. Now, some of these yep. have a have a thing where you don't even really need to wipe it down after you apply it, correct? But some of them you do. Right. Yeah. Dep depends on the product. Right. And I know a lot of times, you know, at least in the AMRT, you know, and mold is going to be different, obviously, than what we're dealing with here. Um, and the fact that if you're applying chemicals to kill something on a surface, you know, many times we want you to go back and remove, after it's had the appropriate dwell time, go back and do a cleaning step so we're not leaving any kind of toxic chemicals left behind in people's homes. Right. Because you know, people do have chemical sensitivities and that group of individuals is growing, you know, quickly because we have chemicals in everything. Right. So depending on the products, you know, even though um, some of them allow you to apply them to the surface and allow them to air dry, like a lot of your botanical products, some of the chemicals you need to go back and do a, a final rinse or a removal step. Mm -hmm. Good. But I guess, you know, just really, really read the label. I can't stress enough. And any of you that do any of this type of stuff for mold remediation, for water damage, you know that the big thing that you always do is read the label, apply the appropriate thing on the surface that you're cleaning, apply the appropriate chemical, do the appropriate dwell time. If it says to wipe it off and clean it off, you wipe it off and clean it off. If it says that you don't have to, then you just leave it on if that's, if that's okay. But make sure you're reading the label. Yeah, there's a lot of chemicals out there, especially uh, during this this pandemic, where a lot of manufacturers are making claims for their products. And it no, does not necessarily mean that it's 100% accurate. 
Right. So I'll give you a good example. You know, we were actually doing a, a crime and trauma scene course in Orlando. And I, I was surprised at how much product was sent to us by different manufacturers as just you know handing them out as samples or encouraging us to let the students use them during the class time. And so we actually took all those products, we lined them up on a table and read the label for every one of them. And over half of those did not list bloodborne pathogens on the label. So make sure that you're reading the label. And when I say read the label, you know, I don't mean you pick up a product and it says, you know, MediClean on it. That's not reading the label, right? Right. So that itty bitty teeny weeny print that tells you what surfaces you can put it on, the dwell time, the concentration. And again, the concentration may change depending on how you're using it. So all that information is going to be there and, and for you guys to look at and read and make sure you understand it before you use it. Right. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, the good question as far as uh, somebody just actually typed in. Is it a good idea to actually put on the invoice the product that, that you applied? Or or what way would you actually recommend to do that? Um, I don't know that you necessarily need to put the name of the product. I would just put an EPA <clears throat> registered disinfectant um, that has been approved for the emergency pathogens list in. Okay. Or something like that. I don't know if I would specifically name a product because it's probably going to change. Right. And right now, a lot of companies are having difficulties even getting product. Okay. You know, it's on back order. It's just having to be manufactured and shipped. So a lot of people are on some pretty significant wait times to even get it. So you may be changing up the products that you're using. Does the Ramsco, because I know you're an account manager for Ramsco, do you know of anything that they've actually got in stock right now? It's, it's constantly changing. Before. It depends on the volume that you're looking for, right. or it's getting shipped because you know, they've got you know over fifty you know, some odd locations throughout the United States and Canada. Right. So right now, you know, someone's in Maryland and they need some you know, disinfectant to be shipped. It may be coming out of California. It depends on where the, the supply list is at. Right. So I think we're just in the same position that a lot of the other distributors are in. Right. So would you recommend they just call their local Interlink and ask them? What's in stock? Yep. Or, yeah. The local interlink or the local Ramsco uh, location, uh, or even uh, a lot of the guys, you know, have their, their local sales rep right there on speed dial. Right. You know, so the sales rep may be able to, to actually evaluate that even better than even some of the, the local branches as far as being able to, to pull some strings to make things happen. But that's where it really needs to start. Perfect. But I know right now, the short supply is going to be the chemical list and personal protective equipment, specifically right. respirators. Right. So let's talk about that. So uh, what would you, would you recommend that they have PPP, PPE on when they're actually doing the cleaning or just the disinfecting or both? Or what would you recommend? Well, it depends on what they're, why they're cleaning. So in some of these buildings, they don't have not had a, an actual confirmed case. They're just basically doing it for maintenance. Right. So under those circumstances, I'd always recommend wearing whatever personal protective equipment is going to be listed on the label for the product that you're using. Because some of them tells you to wear respirators. Some of them say you just need to wear eye protection and gloves. Um, so if it's from a maintenance from a cleaning standpoint for maintenance, that's what I would recommend. If you're going into a known building where they've had known cases that have been confirmed, uh, then you need to follow what the CDC recommends. And that is at a minimum an N95 respirator, uh, the appropriate disposable coveralls, if you can still get them. You know, there's a short supply even now in hospital settings and places like that. Wow. Um, I had a guy call me yesterday and told me that uh, he can't even get any type of PPE at all because it's all being now mandated by their state to give it to the healthcare providers. Wow. He can't, he can't even get suits. So would you recommend at that point, do you just not take the job or what do you, what do you think? 
Um, you know, as, it concerns me that so many people are looking at this as an opportunity to maybe branch out into a field. And I understand, you know, financial uh, gain and making money is important for every company and right. being successful at it. You know, my concern is if you're sending people in that do not have the right training, you haven't gone through you know, your respirator fit testing and you're not compliant with the OSHA programs that they require you to have in place, you know, it concerns me that you could be putting your employees in jeopardy or at risk. Um, not to mention if we go in and we don't do the job correctly, what are we leaving behind for the occupants of that building? Right. And again, there's no guarantees anyway. We can't guarantee anything. Sure. As soon as we go and clean a building, by the way, and we leave, someone re-enters that space and they sneeze or they cough or they bring it from another location, you know, there's no way that we can say we've that building has been disinfected because we can't make that claim. Right. Exactly. Good. So good. And especially even more so use all the extra precaution. I mean, you should anyway, but even five times fold when you know that there's been a case in the area, um, there's a big difference between that type of situation and just uh, a convenience store wanting to get a basic cleaning just because they want to do it to make sure that everything's clean. Right. So if you're doing it from a maintenance standpoint, it's going to be a different level as far as risk than if you're walking into a known affected area or building. Right. right. And on the respiratory protection, I would encourage everybody to at least wear a minimum of a P100. That's going to be your HEPA. But mm -hmm. in conjunction, if you're using chemicals and you're disinfecting with that, make sure you're using the organic vapor cartridge with the acid gas capabilities on it, because that's going to protect you. And probably, I'm going to say 90% of the jobs that you're going to be working in, based on the chemicals that's on that list, uh, that, the, that would provide you the protection that's needed. Right. Right. So just a good respirator, VOC yeah, respirator. Exactly. So as far as what, what facilities do you feel like need, need our services, be it even carpet cleaning, tile cleaning, upholstery cleaning, counter cleaning, what, what service, what facilities do you think need that service the most right now? Well, the ones that I'm hearing and seeing as far as uh, they're getting, they're calling out for help are going to be your senior assisted living facilities. That's a big one. Um, hospitals and other healthcare related industries or, or buildings or facilities. Um, you know, public buildings like daycares, you know, where you've got large groups of, of especially for your higher risk population. So, you know, kids as, as well as elderly folks, you know, those are going to be, I think, the companies or the locations that are going to be researching and looking for services our industry can provide. Right. Good. Good. Um, just some of the other places that I know of just from other guys, just for general purpose for everybody to know. I mean, churches a lot of the times are, you know, hopefully going to be opening up soon and they're looking right. the big gatherings of people, dentists offices that are partially open, but not all the way. Some doctor's offices, even massage therapists, um, private schools. I know a lot of guys have been doing private schools quite a bit. Um, all those large gathering places, but al almost every business that have, that's got people going in need needs something done. I feel like, uh, wouldn't you say, right now at, the, at this point, especially. Right. For those of you that want to get in to do this kind of work, make sure you researched and looked at the products that are available for you to use. Make sure you sought out um, an, an effective protocol cleaning protocol, a donning and doffing protocol for your PPE. And remember, when you're removing PPE, that's probably one of the most important steps as far as preventing cross-contamination to other people or to yourselves. Because if you don't remove it correctly, then you might as well not have worn it at all. Right. So doffing PPE is very important and making sure you're putting it on correctly. Um, I know a lot right now, the big discussion right now is since there's such a shortage on respirators like N95s, 
Um, a lot of times they're looking at reusing those and trying to find ways to sanitize those whether through high heat or some other method. Right. Because they're trying to recycle those. Right. So make sure that you guys are wearing the right PPE. And, and the website that you put up there for the RIA and the IICRC collaborative um, literature they put out has some great procedures listed on that and outlines it. Right. And I've already put the link up. Everybody should be able to see this link. Somebody was asking if I'd put the link to this up in the replay. I might, but it's up here now. So you guys should be able to click on that and you can bookmark it and be able to save it that way. So what other, we've talked about this a little bit, but what other communication would you say that we stress with our clients? And maybe, you know, from the standpoint of even just going in, because at this point, well, let me ask you this. So if somebody right now isn't really in tune to doing um, virus cleanup, which most of us aren't particularly, we've maybe done things that are like that and cleaned up, you know, urine and feces and things like this, but we're not necessarily in tune to cleaning up viruses, right? But somebody calls us for a private school and wants us to clean the carpet and the floors, you wouldn't advise us to say no, would you? You'd, you'd advise us to still be able to do it because that's a service they need, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, mind, you know, we think about you know, carpet cleaning using hot water extraction. You know, viruses are really fragile. It doesn't take a whole lot to inactivate them, right. right? So if you think about how hot our truck mounts get, they're probably, what, 220 degrees, 180 at the nozzle? That's yep. more than effective to kill and inactivate, you know, the, the viruses that may be present on those materials. So right. that's a great service that I think we should all, that the cleaning industry needs to be offering. Right, right. So so really no hesitations for doing that. Uh, but what would you stress that we really communicate with our clients for expectations? Maybe they're thinking that we're going to be killing coronavirus. Maybe they, maybe they didn't flat out ask, but they alluded to something like that. Or maybe they did ask. What would you advise that we tell our clients? Uh, I think I'd like to kind of back to understanding the language that you're using because language is important. You know, so if we're going to go in the, the services we're going to provide, well, we can provide a cleaning service and we can apply a, an EPA registered and approved disinfectant product to the appropriate surfaces. But I would not go into a building and say we've disinfected it or we've sanitized it because there's really no means to measure that, right. if that makes sense. Right. So be oh, careful what you and don't guarantee anything because we really can't guarantee this work because it's going to change as soon as you walk out of that building someone else walks in it's going to change everything right, right. there's no guarantees right. if you want to do third-party testing um, if it's going to be a if it's a high-risk building or facility they may have their own industrial hygienist that they have come yeah. in to do surface sampling or surface testing whether it's through atp or or other types of, uh, of methodology so third-party testing is something you also might want to look at for high-risk buildings? Right. Pro probably not necessarily, well, I would say, but I would think not not necessarily if they're just going to be doing carpet tile upholstery cleaning, I would think, correct? But if right. they're going to be doing actual real sanitization services. So from what, from what I'm understanding, from what you're telling me and from what I've heard and what I've even done in my own business with doing this type of thing, you're going to go in and if you did some, let's say you're doing uh, chairs at a dentist's office, you're doing the whole waiting area, all the chairs, and you're going to apply a sanitizer after you get done clean, cleaning it. So on the invoice, you're going to put something like, we clean the chairs, you know, we charge them for cleaning, and then maybe a separate, separate line item for you applied a sanitizer an EPA registered sanitizer. And that's really it, right? That's all you contracted to do. That's all you're going to put in the invoice to do. Is that pretty accurate? That's pretty accurate. That's exactly right. how it works. You know, when we think about how we 
we estimate or we provide quotes or estimates on mold remediation or sewage backflows. You know, if we're using uh, any type of an antimicrobial product, that's a line item that's listed separately. Right. Right. So listed separately and then never say that you did a sanitization treatment. Well, I don't know if that's even appropriate or not, but I, it's always better to just say that you applied an EPA registered sanitizer and just leave it at that. You didn't sanitize the thing. You didn't disinfect the thing. You just applied the treatment. Exactly. Right. So be careful how you use those terms. Right. Some sometimes that language is really all from what I understand all all of what's important about that. So any anything else that you would recommend for really communicating any of this to to clients to employees really in the language that we should be using? Um, I can't really think of anything uh, other than you know the services we're there to provide, and we're not guaranteeing <clears throat> any of that specific work. Okay. to qualifying that but yeah i can't really think of anything else that would make that big of an impact good outside of that okay great um another question yeah and i've had this asked of me before do you know of any special insurance that you should get if you're doing i don't know if it's just general cleaning service i wouldn't think that like if you're just cleaning carpet tile upholstery unless that you know that there was coronavirus there uh, from what I understand, you wouldn't have to get any special insurance other than the carpet cleaning insurance that you hopefully already have. Is that accurate? Well, keep in mind that you know most of your insurance policies exclude bacteria, viruses, fungi. Wow. You know, they exclude that. So you need to read your policy or talk to your insurance broker to make sure you've got the right coverage. Right. In some aspects, you may have to add back or purchase um, a, a rider to that policy or specifically purchase that type of coverage because most of the policies that I've looked at or I've seen exclude that. Okay. So that's, and that's an important discussion to have um, for companies that do mold remediation or right. do category three cleanups. Or, or anything. Not, I mean, you're cleaning urine out of carpet. Who knows? You yeah. know, what's, what's in that carpet? Who knows if it's human urine or, or dog urine or what it is. So that's exactly. a good conversation. Yeah. yeah. You'll notice also in that RIA, IICRC collaborative document, it actually discusses insurance. Yeah. And I know that they've talked to David Dibdahl, who was the individual that put together a lot of the information for our standards regarding insurance, because um, that's, a, that's a big thing for him. He actually sent me an example over of an exclusion, uh, exclusionary uh, statement in a policy to show what it looks like. And um, so that would be a good place to start is whoever you have your insurance with, make sure they go through your policies and ensure that you've got that coverage, got the correct coverage. Yes, yes. You can. You, it's always a good idea to have a relationship with your insurance broker. Ask them a lot of questions, even in writing, get answers to those questions. I found personally that, that that's a good idea to do. So yeah, good. Right. In conjunction with your, you know, your, uh, your general liability. Right. Right. So good. Well, guys, any other last questions that you've got? Uh, Rachel's got to run. She was so gracious in giving us a little bit of her time to answer these questions. Uh, but if anybody has one or maybe two questions at the most, if they're quick, we can maybe get those in. Um, Rachel, I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on here and uh, and giving us some insight on this. I, I know for me, I haven't even got feedback from the guys yet, but for me, I've gotten a lot of questions answered that I wanted answered that I've had people asking me. So I definitely appreciate it so much. Okay. So, the links that you put up, uh, and again, if anyone has questions or there's something I can help you with, uh, you know, just from an education standpoint, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Most of the people that are probably on this list, I think, are connected to Facebook or I've had them in class. 
you know, if there's anything I can do to help support you and your, your companies, let me know. Is there a website you want to give out or anything like that? Um, the Ramsco is, a, is the, the place to go to look for a lot of your supplies. Gotcha. Um, I've got a bigger, probably the biggest inventory of all the distributors out there. But at this at a time like this, you need to kind of pull all your all your resources together because you're going to find a lag no matter where you go. But that's right. probably the, the best one to, I would say to look at. And I would also recommend that you go to the IICRC website. They've, got, they've done a lot of work in the last week of putting out a lot of press releases and good guidance documents for people to print off and use. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one one other last question then. Somebody, and I've had this question asked to me before. What about hoses and equipment? What's a quick way that we can just make sure that that's not being uh, tracked from one house to another? You need to have some type of decontamination process in place. And everyone should have had that before now. You know, we shouldn't be thinking about decontaminating your equipment just because we've got a pandemic. We should have been thinking about that all along. So you know, again, going back to the same processes of cleaning them, and you can apply disinfectant products to those those items because most of them are hard surfaces. Uh, I know for hoses, you know, is, is there some quick ways that you can uh, dis you, know, you can disinfect the outside of them? They've got those hose cleaning uh, equipment that you can run your hoses through. Right. Some companies will run their hoses through lay flat ducting and tie it off on both ends just to prevent it from even having to deal with decontamination of the outside of the hoses. And you can easily run products through them to decontaminate the inside of them. Right. Right. There you go. Good, good tips. Okay, everybody give Rachel a hand. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for coming on here. Um, if it's okay, uh, if the recording turns out okay, is it okay if I put this video up on YouTube? Oh, it'd be great. Okay, yeah, and probably put on Facebook as well and YouTube, so that'll be awesome. Okay, thank you, Rachel, so much. Right. I appreciate it. Have thank a great day. Stay safe. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.